I'm Ray Guan, and this is Here at Haas, a student-run podcast of the Berkeley Haas community. Today, we're joined by Francis Ho, an evening weekend student of the class of 2022. From animal welfare to music festivals, Francis has always paved her own career path that prioritizes improving the logistics and experiences for her clients. Welcome to the podcast, Francis. Thank you so much, Ray. I'm super excited to be here and talk about my journey. Yeah, of course. So typically we like to have guests tell us about how they got to Haas, but you just have such a fascinating kind of untraditional background before Haas. So I want to kind of go back even further. Tell us about your you know, life beginnings, career beginnings in both the animal welfare and the music and live events industry. Yeah, totally. I think my first experience with even contemplating a career in business was probably when I was in high school and I was applying for colleges at the time. Um, I was applying undeclared to the different UCs that I had selected. And I was just kind of in a conundrum where I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to do something that would improve the life of whether people or animals or something. But I just didn't really know. And my mom suggested that I think about a business career. At that point in my life, I didn't know anyone who was in a finance career, a business career. Both of my parents had done graduate programs in science. My relatives were doctors and engineers. And I was like, business? Like Growing up in the Albany-Berkeley area, we think of business as like big corporations and Berkeley being Berkeley, I was like, I don't think that business is really my path. So I did my undergrad at UC Berkeley in conservation resource studies. So it was kind of like a make your own major. So half my major was on anthrozoology, which is the human animal bond. And the other half was on animal behavior. So that Mm -hmm. fast tracked me towards going to veterinary school. So immediately after my undergrad, I was working at the San Francisco SPCA, which if you don't know, the SPCA stands for the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. And I started off there as a vet assistant. And as I kind of grew in my nursing skills there, I started realizing that the impact that I was having on the animals was patient by patient. And I wanted to kind of scale that impact. And the San Francisco SPC at that time had a really interesting organizational structure where it was mm-hmm. led by two co-presidents. And historically, it had always been someone that had a business or an MBA background and a veterinarian. And what I started to realize was the person that was kind of calling the shots, approving the budgets, launching innovative programs was really our co-president and our, I think she was the director of marketing at the time, who were both MBAs. So this person who ultimately ended up being the COO of the SPCA really became my mentor and cheerleader in pursuing an MBA. And coincidentally, she is a Haas alum. And she really suggested that I start looking into business programs. And as I grew with the organization, we went through a merger and we went through various projects, I realized that my skills and what I wanted to do on a larger scale really aligned with more of a MBA program than a veterinary program. Right. What role did you play 
at the SF SPA SPCA. Sorry. Yeah, no, I transitioned through quite a few roles and the running joke before I left was that I was single-handedly had touched the most parts of the organization. So I started off in the public hospital there where I was a veterinary assistant uh, and worked up to being an emergency veterinary assistant and was considering getting a registered veterinary technician license at the time. Coincidentally, I broke my foot and which means that I can't run around for 14 hours a day. And that put me into a role where I needed to be more desk-bound. So I started becoming a project and program coordinator. And from there, I went to really being working hand-in-hand with our VP and executive team on strategic vision, on a big project on operation logistics, where we completely changed how we sourced animals for the shelter. which mm-hmm. now having gone to business schools was really a supply chain issue and an operations problem <laughs> that when you're in an animal nonprofit, you don't want to call your animals a supply chain problem. So, right. Uh, right. That was one of the reasons. Their clients. Yeah. There are, there are clients, our patients, our mm-hmm. friends, our companion animals. They're not supply chain cogs. <laughs> Yeah, right. It's a different point of view for sure. I'd like to hear maybe an authentic story or experience that you've had that may surprise people. Sure. Uh, I think one of those projects was we did a joint project with HSI, which is Humane Society International, which is the international branch of the Humane Society of the United States. Um, We started this project somewhere between the Sochi Olympics and then when the Olympics were going to be in Korea and we started this project because when the Olympics were in Sochi there was a western kind of limelight that was shined upon Sochi that there were a lot of street dogs and homeless dogs there like the some of the big skiers like I think or snowboarders were adopting these huskies and bringing them back to the U.S. like oh my god I can't believe this is happening And Russia's response to that was they rounded up all the street dogs, euthanized them in a horrible, terrible fashion so that they just didn't exist for the press to see. So in preparation for the Olympics in Korea, HSI wanted to make sure that this similar type of situation didn't happen in Korea. And the big issue was in Korea, there had been a cultural history of eating dog meat. Uh, and some cat mm-hmm. meat. So they wanted to get ahead of looking at ways of diverting dog meat farmers into more sustainable business models and business practices, and then mm-hmm. finding homes for these dogs that were used essentially as breeding animals for food. So San Francisco being kind of the first airport that's closest on the other side of the Pacific Ocean, they reached out to our organization mm-hmm. to kind of partner and help them with immigrating these dogs to the U.S. essentially. And we were going to work as the hub to then distribute these animals to different sheltering facilities to get adopted. So the long story short of it is we were able to bring those animals in. And we were able to get quite a few of them adopted. Some of them were definitely had never seen the inside of a home, let alone flat ground because they lived in wire cages. So it, it, it took 
quite the Herculean effort of volunteers, of administrative staff, of donors, of our medical team to get these animals to a place where they would have the best welfare possible. So I am not sure that people really realize that even your local animal rescue organizations are working on such an international scale as well. So their donor dollars do reach quite far. I had no idea. I, I don't know any pets. I, I, I was looking into, I guess they called it like a pandemic puppy, mm-hmm. but I, I, the thing is I didn't get one because I actually moved back home and mm-hmm. you know, I think it was more so I was bored and then I found yeah. some things to occupy my time, <laughs> including this yeah. podcast. So, yeah. um, cool. Well, let's move to you also simultaneously while working at the SF SPCA, um, you also ended up being heavily involved in the music and live events industry. Are the roles that you've held there similar in terms of strategy and operations as well? Yeah. So I think a lot of times people hear that I worked in like an animal shelter and in live music to be like, how do these two things relate? And to me, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> it really leverages and flexes the same skill set and transferable skills you just swap the like puppies and kittens as my clients to like celebrity Mm -hmm. artists as my clients and so they're both very (laughs) operational roles i really stayed on in music i had been working in live music in the local like nightclub scene while i was at my undergrad at cal and i stayed doing it as kind of like my side hustle because when you work at a nonprofit, you get paid a nonprofit salary. So I was working weekends at music and I was also really passionate about it. So it kind of satisfied both sides of my brain. One was a lot of spreadsheets and technical medical things. And the other one was mm-hmm. a lot more creative, but yeah, I mainly worked in artist relations and artist transportation logistics. So same mm-hmm. thing. I got a lot of spreadsheets, a lot of data, did a lot of negotiating, trying to make clients happy and working out their operational logistical flow to come to the festival and perform at the festival and how to get them out safely and quickly and with police escorts, without police escorts. So it, it really just came to a point where I had maxed out what I wanted to do in animal welfare at the time. And I really wanted to make a change in my life because I had been in animal welfare full time for about eight years. And it was just about the time where I was starting to apply for MBAs as well. And I was like, you know, it's time for me to delve into something deeper. And especially with music festivals, it's really hard kind of on your body in terms of we travel a lot. Uh, we are not at home, we don't get to cook. And so I was like, if I'm going to seize this opportunity, my 20s is when I'm going to seize it. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess before we kind of move on to, um, you know, applying to Haas, I want to ask you about just that life. I want to kind of press deeper here. Being a contractor, I mean, you mentioned how in nonprofit, maybe with animal welfare, um, you had to also have kind of weekend jobs, right? So describe kind of your life as a contractor. And if that put more stress, you know, knowing that you're, you know, basically being paid by the event. Yeah, yeah, it was it was kind of 
a yin and a yang for me. With a nonprofit, I was being paid a nonprofit salary, but I had benefits. I had a 401k, I had healthcare, I had a stability, I had a desk to come to. Where with music festivals, you're on the go. You don't know when you're going to have your next job. But I think as music festivals got more and more popular, I started seeing myself going to one music festival a month. Mm. Then it became two music festivals a month. And then it was starting to become three music (laughs) festivals a month. And I was like, oh boy, this is starting to become a lot now. So ultimately, I did kind of a break-even analysis (laughs) to bring in the MBA aspect of I'm now now booking enough music festivals that if I pay for health insurance Mm -hmm. myself out of my own pocket, is it going to be worth it? And for Mm -hmm. me, it was, I think it was around the start of 2019, January 2019, where I got a long contract for the January through March months to go to Mm -hmm. Mexico to work many festivals back to back that I was like, you know, it's time. It's time for me to go. And I did. I set up my own health insurance. I figured out how to pay my taxes in advance. And I was like, I'm leaving STCA. I have new things I need to conquer. So wow. that's what I no, that, that's, a, that's amazing. So I guess I want to transition to now your time at Haas. I think pre-show we talked about applying to Haas a couple of times and finally got accepted in the 2019 intake. Mm-hmm. Uh, what were your first impressions of Haas once the program started? Once the program started, I was just so surprised by who my classmates were. Like there was such a diversity of people, of interests, and there was this sense of camaraderie that I was pretty surprised by. I honestly didn't think that going into like an evening and weekend master's program, there were that many people that wanted to like be friends. I really thought most of my classmates were kind of there because their employer was sponsoring it or they were trying to move and pivot into a new job role. So to find so many people that were genuinely interested in what you did and where you want to go was really surprising for me to find such a supportive community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think a lot of people agree with you, Francis. And I think it was apparent on We Launch on that weekend once the you know kind of the shine of we launch uh, wore off, what were your impressions of the classes for the first semester? I truthfully had no idea what was going on. <laughs> we will be very frank here. Coming mm-hmm. from like the nonprofit world and the entertainment world, some of these classes could have been in a foreign language. Like I had taken statistics for my science bachelor's. I had taken mm-hmm. like different math classes. So I understood the math, but the words that they were putting around the math, I had, I didn't know if Fannie Mae was a person. I didn't know if she was someone that worked at Haas, like S and P 500. I was Googling S and then the letter N and then P because I was like, what are we talking about? So I had no idea what was happening. 
combined with how impressed I was with my classmates, I quickly fell into this feeling of imposter syndrome where I was like, why am I here? <laughs> why did they let me yeah. in? Especially having applied uh, a couple times before getting in, I was like, well, maybe they just let me in because they're like, this person's tried many times. Like, we can't let her apply for a fourth time. Like, we got to let her in at this point. She's now in the median age range. Like, we got to, we, we don't want to hear from her anymore. So sure. it, it, I quickly found out that I needed to work harder, I think, than some of my other classmates. I had to read every single case. I had to read the suggested parts in the textbooks too. I got really good at Googling things under the table because I didn't know what was being said in half the time. And then I really leaned on my study group. I was really blessed with being assigned to a really amazing study team of people that couldn't be more different than I am, that I could be like, what was he saying? <laughs> what are we talking about? <laughs> and without them, I don't think I would have survived my first year, not having mm -hmm. those that were sitting next to me and my study team to translate. I mean, we have students, I, I've talked with other students that are from a more technical background, like engineering, and even they have said that um, they've felt the imposter syndrome. Would you say that your study group amongst others in your cohort helped you overcome that? Yes. I think one of the things that uh, we discovered together was there was quite a few of us that were actually feeling this imposter syndrome and none of us mm -hmm. were talking to each other about it. And a lot of those individuals were women in our cohort. And so it was kind of a double-edged sword. Each time I found out how impressive my classmates were, it kind of made that imposter syndrome a little worse because it's like, well, they're presenting these big, flashy, glorious PowerPoints to their CEOs. And I'm trying to figure out how to get a limousine to Martin Garrix's hotel. Like, who am I? Why am I here? And I, what I really had to help me get through that was CMG. When I found my CMG mm. coach, she has been such a guiding light in helping me lean into my difference and how I am unique and what skills I am bringing to this table. That while I don't know anything about the like stocks or what PitchBook even was to begin with, what I right. have done is I've managed over a hundred people every two weeks, hired and rehired, negotiated with some of the toughest A-list celebrities and mm. gone through some really challenging life and death situations when I worked at the animal shelter. And so these are real life experiences that I know how to think on my feet. I know how to improvise when all of plan A through plan F has just gone out the window and you don't know what mm -hmm. to do. So it's just a different set of tools than making yeah. really pretty put together Excels. So, yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned that because I did do some research on imposter syndrome because I felt that in my life as well. You know, statistically, I think most uh, people who experience that actually are like high performers, but 
they oftentimes have like high standards for themselves. But I guess the good thing is so far here at Haas, I would say generally most students are very helpful in trying to help you improve your skills. What was your biggest learning so far at Haas? My biggest learning since I have been at Haas has been really tied around that imposter syndrome, I think. I think I spent my first year and a half really trying to fit me fit myself into a square of what I thought an MBA student should be or should know or should act or should look. And we'll start by saying that the first day of class, I clearly stood out. My classmates, some of them were coming from jobs where they had to be in a suit and tie. And I was in like black leggings, a black t-shirt, black hoodie, because I'd just come off a flight and my hair was blue. Like, <laughs> couldn't have stood out more. And uh, my greatest learning is that the beauty of Haas is Haas has built their values, their community, their student body to be really inclusive of that different, that difference. And there's always going to be more work to be done there. But my, my learning has really just been what makes me different is why they wanted me at Haas and to yeah. not hide that and to embrace it. Yeah. Well said. And here at Haas, you've also been involved in some extracurriculars, one being Haas Hearts. Mm -hmm. Can you just describe Haas Hearts and its purpose and also your role? Yeah, definitely. So Haas Hearts was really championed by Justin Lee and Christine John, who are also both EWs in 2022. I believe they are VPs on our EW Student Association, and they wanted to do a project at the start of COVID that would help nonprofits in a COVID mm -hmm. era. And me being one of the token nonprofit people, Christine reached out and she was like, this is our initial idea. Do you think this will help? And I was like, I think we could improve on this a little bit. And the, <laughs> yeah. the part that we could improve was sh she was looking at it, rightfully so, from a very student-focused lens. Mm -hmm. And one of the challenges of working at a nonprofit is that you frequently have well-meaning people that want to help, but they don't quite know how. And there has to be a balance of it being beneficial for the nonprofit and also for the person that's helping. You never want right. to do a project that's going to take away from a nonprofit's already tight resources for mm -hmm. someone else's benefit. And so I right. was asked on to be of assistance to help figure out what types of projects could be achievable in such a short time frame. We were looking at just a summer long project. What nonprofit partners would be good partners for this type of project and how can we have the greatest impact? And so it was fun and really interesting because I hadn't really flexed that nonprofit kind of consulting muscle in a couple of years. I'd done a little bit of that at the end of my time at the San Francisco SBCA. So it was really great to have something, especially at the start of COVID, to feel like that I was giving back and helping organizations and helping our students understand what it's like to work at a nonprofit and how to work with a nonprofit and be a good nonprofit partner. But it also did remind me that the nonprofit path was a path that I had 
kind of close the chapter on and I didn't quite want to return on to it for a little bit of time because especially I think in animal welfare, the burnout rate and kind of the compassion fatigue that goes with it is a very real thing. Yeah, no, I mean, and I'm glad you mentioned the the kind of the necessity of having or creating win-wins for mm-hmm. nonprofits, both making sure that you're obviously providing impact, mm-hmm. but also, you know, not squeezing the budget too much or mm-hmm. not taking away from that cut. And then I know you're also involved with the DMEC, the mm-hmm. Digital Media and Entertainment Club. Do you want to describe kind of the purpose for the club and your role? Yeah. So the Digital Media and Entertainment Club, or DMEC, is a club on campus that when I joined Haas a year and a half ago, it was predominantly full-time students and full-time student run. And Mm -hmm. now that I've had some more time here and kind of understand the culture, I recently ran for a VP position on the board of DMEC. And the platform I ran on was really about wanting to engage more of our evening and weekend and executive students because we have such a wealth of information in our program that I think it's only best to share it with the other classes and other programs as well. So the DMEC club really is a club of people that are just really interested in media, entertainment, and anything digital aspect of that. So there's those of us who are really interested in streaming and movies and Netflix, Hulu. There's a group that are really interested about gaming. Gaming is a big sector that's growing very quickly. There's those of us who are really interested in how the music industry is shifting and changing with digitization and with COVID. And all of these have such synergies that with my role on the club board, I'm hoping to continue to engage with our alumni and our current students to bring insights of the industry that are happening currently into the club as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think um, in at least the last five years or so, give or take, mm-hmm. streaming started out as you know with Netflix, right? And I guess maybe you can kind of go back with Pandora. But in recent years, it's really expanded beyond movies uh, into, you know, TV, into, like you mentioned, music, into gaming. Yeah. But, okay, I want to pivot next to the topic of mental health because, you know, we're almost in kind of like month 10 now of the shelter in place. Yeah. Can you share with us how COVID has impacted you and how you've had to overcome what has been, I'd imagine, a pretty tumultuous 2020. Yeah, I think this is a really interesting topic to land on in this part of the podcast because it really ties together many of the subjects we've talked on already, that imposter syndrome, that kind Mm -hmm. of music industry, COVID, mental health. And honestly, I think, to be quite honest, I don't know that I can say that I've overcome it a lot of what I felt with imposter syndrome was that I just didn't fit. But at least I was good at what I did. I enjoyed the work that I did and I was good at it. There's not that many managers in the role that I do in the U- in the US at the scale 
to which I do it, it's less than 10 for sure. And that's how I started doing shows internationally. And to have that single kind of piece that I was holding onto of the value and how I felt confident at Haas just kind of taken away in March, which March 15th was certainly one of the most challenging days of my life, was earth shattering. And mm -hmm. mental health has been something that I've really been passionate about, I think, since my undergrad. And it's frequently been tied with when something big or life-changing happens. With COVID, the one piece of my identity that I felt confident about evaporated. And there was no indication of when it was coming back. There were a few festivals rescheduling where we're like, okay, well, the May ones are in October. It's like everyone's like, mm, October ones aren't happening. Maybe 2021 in spring. And then it's like, mm, maybe not in 2021 spring. And so I was in this position where I had to figure out one, what to say to the people that I worked with when I was like, hi, I used to hire you and negotiate mm -hmm. budgets that paid your entire year's salary. And now I'm saying, let me help you figure out how to apply for unemployment. These are people who live on the road constantly. This is the family mm -hmm. that I've built around me there. You cannot find a team of people that is more dedicated and ready to like come to arms when anything happens. And you have taken their life passion and industry kind of away. And we're now navigating unemployment. And with how it was set up, it was challenging. And it was so hard because in that same time, I'm taking macroeconomics at Haas, where we're talking about the implications of a stimulus check of how they're executing these stimulus checks and how the people that are going to get these checks are going to take that money and immediately put it back into the economy because they're now buying groceries that they can't afford normally. Mm -hmm. And to hear some of the like discussion and commentary around it when you are truly going through it yourself was a very surreal experience. Mm -hmm. And I use that moment in kind of a low of my mental health to be like, you know, so many of my classmates haven't been furloughed. They're just now working from home. They need a face and a perspective of what it's like to navigate California unemployment, yeah. how to like hear that this, this check is not just something that's like a figure on a spreadsheet that goes somewhere. Like these are people's livelihoods. And mm -hmm. so much of that was tied to my mental health and that imposter syndrome. I was finally starting to feel a bit confident at Haas and then my industry and my job evaporated. The one thing that was really making me feel confident was gone. And it just, it totally took a plummet. I was like, I don't, I don't know why I'm here. Why have I taken out these loans in this moment? to pursue this degree where right now I'm fighting for an industry to come back or fighting to find a new job and trying to find value in what I previously done and translate it to these other job descriptions. And so I remembered that through our school program, we were offered eight sessions of therapy through right. the, the UC program. And so I reached out 
at that time, the therapist that was dedicated to Haas was on summer vacation, unfortunately, but it worked out because I got paired with someone through the main medical program. Mm -hmm. And we were able to really pinpoint that what I was suffering was a sense of grief. My industry had been so fast paced that I unfortunately had lost some really close friends and coworkers to addictions, to suicide that I really hadn't processed when I was working because it was always on to the next one. We worked so hard. We'd work 80, 90 hours a week, execute a festival. I'd come back, go to school on Monday, do homework on Tuesday, go to school on Wednesday, and then fly back out again that I had never really processed what had happened with my mental health. And then now I was also grieving the loss of like 2020 and the industry and job that I had. And I really had to think about how I could reinvent myself and what were my core values, beliefs, and passions that I wanted to hold true into the next part of my journey. And that's still part of my exploration. And I think because of this time and space to explore that and feel really grounded in who I am, that I've been able to be a better person and a better leader ultimately because of it. Yeah. I mean, thank you for sharing all of that. I mean, our career for a lot of us is a big part of who we are. Mm -hmm. Right. And I enjoyed the story about putting a face to numbers, mm -hmm. right? Because in micro and macro, you know, you see numbers and charts and graphs, mm -hmm. but it's important, I think, for leaders um, to have that perspective. So I know we're kind of in this pandemic still, uh, mm -hmm. as we mentioned. Is mental health still something that you think is underrated? Um, is it something that more people should be talking about? I think it's something that everyone is kind of going through to a certain extent of the spectrum. and Everyone has their own different struggles and that we can only become stronger as a society and as leaders for our teams if we recognize that most people are going through something. Mm -hmm. And everyone's pain and grief is all valid, uh, whether it's their potted plant that they've been fostering throughout the entire COVID has now stopped flowering or something like that to someone's family member passing. Like that grief and that pain is all valid. And I hope that with my time at Haas that by having conversations like this one and with fellow students that we feel more open to talk about it. I think by recognizing I don't really want to call it a weakness. I think it's a holistic part of who we are by recognizing that we have these emotions and feelings and acknowledging how we process them that we only can come out and through it stronger. And I think when we mm -hmm. talk about diversity and equity, these are all things mental health that have to go hand in hand. Because one of the things that comes with kind of to having a more equitable and diverse student class is that in every sense of the word is that we do yeah. that for all types of people that being an MBA student doesn't mean that you're perfect. It doesn't mean you're learning to become a CEO. It means that you're learning to be a better leader of organizations and people, and you're going to leave that organization and have a journey 
that's for good and for positive. And if part of that journey means that I share my story and my struggles and how I overcome them or how I've experienced them to be a face to a statistic, then I'm happy to do that. Yeah. Um, so then let me ask you this. What are your plans in that regard for 2021? My plans for 2021 mainly are to not be so self-deprecating. I think I frequently be like, well, I'm not currently employed, so I'm just being lazy or like I could be doing more. And I think by recognizing that I needed to self-care and do more self-care, that when I am back working full-time that I have that knowledge and understanding that I can bring to my team. And so mm -hmm. for me in 2021, I don't know if and when music festivals are coming back. And I think that there's always gonna be a human desire for live music events and building culture in that way. But I yeah. think it, it has changed. So what I'm doing now is I'm really looking to see how I can adjust and pivot to still maintain and work in an industry where I can still be part of influencing how people work and mm -hmm. also maybe along the way tying in some of that music as well. Yeah. Awesome. And thanks again for sharing that. I think it's, I know it's challenging to, you know, be vulnerable. And so I appreciate your story and I hope, you know, other listeners can, you know, understand that like, look, we are MBA students. A lot of us are fortunate, are privileged, um, but we go through periods of grief as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, anyway, I appreciate that. I want to kind of just wrap up our interview with some lightning round questions. Okay. First question, cat or dog? Cat. And then second question, what's a recommendation for an underrated music festival? I think there's some really cool music festivals abroad that are very small and boutique where you can see some of your favorite artists in more of a kind of almost club-like setting where in the U.S. we're so used to these mm -hmm. big, large massives that there are mm -hmm. some underrated festivals there, especially in Croatia. There's some in Portugal, um, some yeah. in Berlin, that are some in Belgium that are really, really cool and really different. And honestly, mm -hmm. they'll probably be back to having festivals before we are is what I'm thinking. So okay. get a passport. Okay. So go, go <laughs> international. Okay. And then what's your favorite class or professor oh. that you've taken so far at Haas? Okay. My favorite class has to be ethics mainly because I really enjoyed having those tough questions. And I would say that was probably my first core class where I was like, I got this. I know yeah. what's happening. I've had these conversations and I wanted to hear my classmates' point of views on the different subjects that were brought up. My favorite mm -hmm. professor was actually one of my elective professors over this past summer. She is actually based out of, I think, Toronto. And she's at the Rotman School of Business. And she taught a class on leading innovation and innovative mm. management. Uh, her name's Professor Angel Beausoleil. She really adapted to teaching in a kind of Zoom environment really well, 
we had really interesting hands-on projects and I, I learned a lot from that class. I really enjoyed her. Okay, cool. And then just to wrap this uh, interview up, what advice would you give to someone coming to Haas from an untraditional background that could also potentially struggle with imposter syndrome? Yeah, I think knowing that you're going to go in and potentially feel imposter syndrome and it's going to be totally normal and you are not the only one is going to be so helpful. I think especially paired with COVID and the feeling of isolation, that imposter mm -hmm. syndrome can feel very isolating. And especially if you're in an industry where there aren't many MBAs and you maybe don't even know what MBA really stood for, but it's something you're exploring, I would say that you should start networking. Ask a current student, ask someone that might know an MBA, and try to find yourself a mentor. I think one of the biggest learnings you'll find in your MBA program is, I think 60% of it is networking and having those conversations. So get a head up on that. So you can have that help. And don't be afraid to ask for help, whether it is to get some extra tutoring or finding online resources to just get you into a place where you feel like you can put your best foot forward. And whatever you find is your best foot forward into applying an MBA is enough. And you don't have to feel like you have to be anyone else other than your authentic self to come to Haas because we want you here. Yeah. And, you know, the criteria to coming here is is already a pretty high bar. So I feel like people that get through, they are, they should feel confident in that they do belong. Um, yeah. Thank you so much, Francis, for coming on the podcast today. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. I've had a lot of fun. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Here at Haas. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and review and check out our website for links, show notes, and other episodes. This episode was produced and edited by Nick Gerwe. I'm Ray Guan, and we'll see you next time here at Haas.